Hey, good people. I'm Sheree. And I'm Han. You're listening to It Just Got Real. So, Han, in a week where things got real for one particular orange man. (laughs) This week felt so long. Oh, man. How has your week been going? And what's your real moment? (laughs) So my moment was like one that has happened multiple times. And I think that that is worth talking about on a year that feels like every day it's Groundhog Day, which is this reoccurring moment where my co-founder and I are on the phone and we're talking through some distinctly difficult strategy thing. And this is like usually a business strategy thing, not so much a product strategy thing. The phone call basically ends with one of us saying to the other, well, we just need to do all the things. Like there's no option. We just have to do everything at once. And that seems really counterintuitive to a lot of advice that I think we all hear all the time, which is you need to focus. So I want to unpack this a bit because I actually think that sometimes, many times, you need to say, fuck focus. (laughs) It's so interesting that you started with this because if this were my moment this week, I would have actually focused on the same conversation. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think every board meeting I have, and like with good intention, it's definitely like focus, do one thing, focus, do Mm -hmm. one thing, focus. And I will say there is definitely an element where you need to do that. Whether it's like, I've got a goal that I'm trying to reach Mm -hmm. and it's new. So I need everybody to work on it Mm -hmm. and nothing else. Mm -hmm. But I think at the same time, depending on the kind of business you're building and your strategy for doing it, focus in the most singular sense of the word, I don't think is always helpful or even the path of getting to success. Right? I'm so relieved to hear you say that because I want to like debunk this focus theory, which is that I think when people say that, oh, you need to focus, it's way too much of a generalization. And you really need to look at what are we actually talking about? So let's break it down. I think when it comes to product, focus is you have to have it. There's absolutely no question because you can't build a roadmap. You can't work on 20 features at once. You can't be having a product that's a whole bunch of different things. Like I remember this one time I was walking past this. Well, I'm going to call it a cafe, but that's a generous statement. I was walking past. (laughs) (laughs) Was it like some step beyond a bodega, but before a cafe? I don't know, actually, is the answer. I I even remember, like, I took a picture of this because I was like, oh, I'm going to use this in, like, a book or something for, like, product one day. But it had this, like, sidewalk sign outside, and it was, like, coffee, cappuccino. And I was like, okay, cool. And then it was, like, sandwiches, pasta. Oh, God, those places. I hate those places. And then it was, like, tacos. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then it was, like, lunches, dinners, meals, catering, dining, takeout. And I was like, oh, my God, my brain is exploding. What is happening? <laughs> like, what is this place? It was just so many things jammed onto one sign at the same time. I was like, this is a perfect example of, feature creep of what happens when you build a product organically, 
too many cooks in a kitchen, pun intended, <laughs> designed by like committee. It was just all those classic things that like when you mm-hmm. see it in a product, you feel it because you're like, what the fuck is this thing for? Like, I don't understand what's going on here. Right. And right. that's why I'm like cafe is a generous statement because I still don't really know what it was. So that's so funny for product focus is critical. Right. And you can change your focus. You can do a pivot. But like when customers show up, they need to know what the hell is going on? Do you sell coffee or do you do catering? Because those two things are very different. And then I think also for your team, focus is really important because everybody really needs to rally around a singular goal, to your point, to get anything done. Like you can't have everybody running off in 28 different directions. The company won't get anywhere because your team and the energy that your team puts into things is the total sum of how far you're going to get with something. So having a goal for the quarter, everybody focusing on the goal, or like having a few key milestones that you're going to cross off for the quarter. Like that's where focus matters. Yeah. Where focus is flawed and where I say fuck focus is on business strategy and on the kind of planning work that founders have to do to create optionality, which is a nice way of saying don't die. Mm. And if you talk to anyone who has worked through any kind of like challenging like situation where they really had to like learn to be very scrappy or be very street smart or maybe dealt with immigration which is something that I've done those kinds of experiences where people really learn to like fend it's like a sink or swim kind of situation if you talk to anyone who's done something like that they'll always talk about having a plan b and like having something to fall back on something to fall back on because probably something isn't going to work out In fact, many things may not work out. And that kind of scenario in one's life really teaches you to have a lot of options. And um, these people typically also are the kinds of people that like to have like savings in different places and, you know, like rainy day money. And like, they're very cautious about like, oh, if this doesn't work, you know, we're going to do this other thing. And with a business, it's the same thing, but especially when you're a startup, because you're super vulnerable, you're a tiny little tender plant that barely has two leaves poking out of the ground, trying to get by in this big old world where you can get stomped on any minute. And so optionality is critical. And to put a really fine point on this and not talk just in broad concepts, I remember very clearly this meeting I had with one of our investors and a really incredible product mentor, our investor, um, Camille Hurst. We worked in the same studio space at Expa and Camille ended up investing in my company afterwards, which is amazing. Shout out to Camille. I love Camille. And I was working on fundraising and she was helping me with the fundraising strategy. And she was like, you're doing everything right. This makes sense. This was like our last round. So not right now. It was like almost a year ago. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you're doing everything right. This all makes sense. She was like, now, While you're doing this, like as soon as you close this round, you need to start doing a bunch of things. She was like, you need to start working on your next raise. I was like, what? Right away? She was like, yes. She was like, you need to figure out what your monetization story is that you're going to talk about at your next raise. And I was like, really? It's too early. She was like, nope, you need to have that in your back pocket. She's like, also, you need to make inroads with other companies to consider what a path to acquisition would look like one day. And I was like, what? On top of this? And she was like, yep. And you need to build your product at the same time. And I was like, that sounds crazy. But like she exited her company. So clearly the woman knows what she's talking about. And yep, there's the receipts. <laughs> <laughs> she has the receipts. Clearly. Exactly. So I was like, all right, let me think about this. <laughs> 
And it was one of those moments where I was just like, oh, I see what she's saying. She's basically saying like, you need to have options. Like you don't know exactly how this is going to play out. So you need to have a lot of different options for how you tell that next story at your next fundraise, different paths for the company's success, different paths for the product success. And this is the kind of like strategy work, I think, where actually you can't afford to only focus on one thing. Yeah. Because so many founders that I talk to also, if they hadn't happened to notice something kind of in their peripheral vision that was happening that keyed them into another direction the business could go on, they wouldn't have become as successful as they are. Mm -hmm. And there's like an element of curiosity and flexibility and staying open to different options and paths and different endings to your story and not being too laser focused on one thing because we all know life never really turns out the way that you expect it's going to be right you're going to get across that finish line but the journey to get there is going to look so different than what you had in your head when you started and i think what it really also sort of brings up for me is like these things are not literal even people who are giving you the best advice they don't mean for you to make like a one-to-one linear, literal correlation to what they're saying, to like what you ultimately do from an execution perspective. They're just trying to provide guardrails so that you focus on things that are important. Mm -hmm. And I think we often as entrepreneurs take focus to mean do one thing only. Yeah, And I think the real focus is like keep your eye on the ultimate prize. hundred percent. And check in with yourself on like, is the thing I'm doing in alignment with that? Mm-hmm. But like for real, for real. Yeah. Not like some story I'm telling myself so that I can sort of mm-hmm. do these smaller things that feel good. Not like ticking off some easy thing on the bottom of your to-do list. Exactly. No. Yeah. That's a big part of the like focus conversation. Mm -hmm. What's the grand vision? What's the order in which you're committing to do this? Understanding it's not ever going to be a start this, complete it, start the next thing. You're almost always running parallel processes. Yeah, you have to be. Because if you don't, then you don't have the optionality. You have to be doing a bunch of things at the same time. And, And this is the thing that the founder does. This is not something that you really put on your team or should ever put on your team, in my opinion. This is something that you do. That's why you get the big equity because you are running like 18 parallel processes at the same time so that your team can focus on one thing. Mm. And what you just said about like, you got to keep your eye on the prize. That is essential. Like when you're running these 18 parallel processes, you really need to dig deep and ask yourself like, is every single one of these things a path to get to the goal? And if it's not, then it's a distraction. You should stop doing it. But if it is, then it might be worth continuing to pursue or dig into a little bit. Like a great example is our NSF funding. When we did that, I had a lot of people say like, are you sure? I've heard it's a lot of work. You got to deal with this government stuff. There's like red tape. And it's true. There is. It's like filing your taxes times a bazillion plus writing Mm -hmm. like a really hardcore science research paper at the same time. But if we hadn't done that, we would have been dead a couple of times already. Like having that funding was critical to our success to this point. So while that was kind of distracting, it was also something that gave us optionality. Right. And now looking back on it, I'm so grateful that we had that optionality and that we decided to do multiple things at the same time. Right. 
I mean, I was kind of that way where when I first started Tastemakers, I really wanted to just build it as like this app that told people where the cool things were mm. in like African cities. And at the time, like that didn't exist. And quite frankly, it doesn't really still exist. No. But I think what's interesting is, so I was doing that and trying to do it, but I wasn't a developer. I didn't have a CTO. I didn't have any network of engineers. I didn't know anyone that had ever built a startup before. Like I knew nothing. Mm. And as much as I was like trying my hardest to like meet people and hire developers and outsource developers and like that was a whole rigmarole for a long time, I knew that what I could do was sell trips. And I always sort of wrestle with this because on the one hand, sometimes I think if I would have followed the like focus advice and just only focused on building the mobile app and like figuring out how to do that, then I think the business would be in a different place than it is now. Mm. But then on the other side, being able to do these group trips and having real customers with real money and being able to like have that be the way the business supported itself before we ever took on capital is also the reason like we were able to get to where we are now. Right. So it's like if I wasn't able to find someone to partner with and build the mobile app initially, that would have just been the end of it. Mm -hmm. The focus thing would have said, like, only focus on getting this mobile app done. And if I don't get that done, like, okay, then maybe I'm not going to do that startup. Yeah. Like, that's how that story would have went. But because I was able to, like, do this trips thing and validate and test and it actually ended up putting me on the African continent all the time because I had to go there with customers that paid, I was able to scale our knowledge base much faster in many different countries in a way that wasn't sort of on our investors' dime, was on the dime of like this slim, but sometimes their profit margins. And so I think the idea of having to work on more than one thing is very real But you said something that I think is important for people to realize and something that even I'm still learning is that you as a founder or a CEO has to do these things in parallel, but your team actually can't. Yeah. And you've got to be really, really good about prioritization for your team. On the one hand, you want the team to know like the bigger picture, but you have to balance how you translate that bigger picture how that boils down into your team and their focus because they actually do kind of need to be singularly focused on like the next thing. They do. It's like their focus and you know that they're marching on with like the thing that you're working on right now is kind of like what allows you to take a step back and be like, okay, how do I run these 16 parallel processes at the same time? Right. And think a little bit bigger picture about the strategy and like be able to take those steps back and be able to do that kind of job. And when you're two in the weeds, like executing on everything day to day, it's hard to be able to take that step back and work on those bigger picture things and and create that optionality intentionally. But it's so important, like thinking back to that conversation with Camille, when she said that, I was like, oh shit, that is exactly what you were doing and you nailed it. And like, look at how that works. And it made me think of like two other times in my life where people have said things like this in very different areas. One was this talk that I was listening to once by Neil Gaiman, who's an author. And he was talking about how he writes his stories 
that he puts a lot of guns in a lot of drawers because he's not exactly sure how things are going to end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this took a turn. Metaphorical guns, right? (laughs) You know, like crime fiction style. Like, oh, I'm not really sure how this is going to end. But like the the idea Mm. that you add extra elements to characters or include details that you're not totally sure are really important at the time because when you're writing something that is... You don't know how it's going to end mm-hmm. when you start writing it. Maybe you probably have an arc or a Bible. You have the main theme, but like exactly how things are going to end for the characters, you're not sure. And like yeah. sometimes these things go on to be like another writer works on it afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. That always stuck out to me. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like when you're writing a story, include extra stuff because you don't know when you're going to need it, essentially. And Mm. it made me think of like the story of our lives and the stories of our building our businesses or the story of making anything happen, which is that it never ends how you thought it was going to. Like there's so many extra twists and turns along the way. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like pack extra snacks because you don't know when you're going to need that granola bar. I love this. (laughs) I love this. I love the example also. Like... (laughs) Because you are developing a thing that you kind of know the arc. Like, what's our arc? We're trying to, like, exit these damn companies. Yeah. But how we think it's going to go is almost certainly not how it's going to wind up. And the other conversation that it makes me think of, which is completely polar opposite, is um, my old boss, Jim Lucchese, who is the CEO of Equinest. And that company got acquired by Spotify, which is a pretty big deal because now the Equinest data and technology powers most of Spotify's recommended music. So like your recommended uh, playlist and stuff like that, which is really dope. He was working with me on a problem once and I was like kind of spinning down a hole of like, ah, but if this doesn't happen, then I need to do this. And if that doesn't work, I need to do that. And like, you know, we've all been there. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was like, grabbed me kind of, you know, metaphorically grabbed me, like pulled me out of the spiral and was like, listen, you need to have plan A and B and C and D and E and F and G and H or however many, you need to have a lot of plans in your back pocket, but, but, and this is the big, but. You don't actually spend any energy working on those plans until you are positive that plan A doesn't work. Yep. And even when you think plan A isn't working, still work on it. (laughs) Don't let plan A go until you're like absolutely sure, like basically like fail in it like multiple times. Like just hearing no from one person, that's not enough to say plan A doesn't work anymore. Like keep working it until you are so sure that it is not a thing and then cut over to work on plan B. And that was some of the best like CEO mindset advice I'd ever received because the thing that can happen, and to go back to the story of like, I remember doing this when I was working on my immigration, it's really easy to be like, oh, if this doesn't work, I need to have that backup plan. And if that backup plan doesn't work, then I need this backup plan. And while that's a really important skill for survival, optionality, staying alive, all those things are the same, You can't actually spend a lot of time working on those backup plans or thinking about them too hard unless you are in a point where you're like, okay, now it's time to cut over to them. Yeah. So my big caveat to these 16 parallel processes is like you still have a finite amount of energy every day. You still need to be focused on like the main goal, which is plan A. All of the things that you're working on in parallel strategically, they need to only ladder into plan A keeping your eye on the prize. Yep. And I think that's also where people get like mixed up about this stuff because I see folks trying to work on too many backup plans at the same time. And that's also not a way to build a business because 
you will not only split your focus and then it's really detrimental, but also I think you undermine your own confidence when you do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think this is a good time to talk about the record scratch. Oh my Lord. I've been waiting for this all episode. I mean, you just talked about confidence. This is a person that probably has more confidence in his pinky than the whole world in the worst possible way. I mean, there's Literally, it's like a slow motion record scratch. Especially with like hearing all the stuff that was exposed about his taxes this week as well. Where I was like, oh wait, so you didn't pay taxes because your companies were failing? You mean you're not a successful businessman? Like actually you just lost millions, no billions of dollars? So, okay, what have you done again? Remind me, can I see your resume? Listen here. If you guys don't know what we're talking about yet, the record scratch heard round the world, literally, is that the American president has COVID-19. Trump has the Rona. And not only did he find out he had it, but the very next day still like went and had a campaign dinner with no mask on. He did? Yes! Oh my God, I didn't hear that part. Hope Hicks was with them going to the debate on Tuesday. When they came back Wednesday, she was self-quarantining on Air Force One, fully sick, the whole situation. So one, by Wednesday, they knew there was a high chance of exposure. Thursday, the world finds out she has it. But he also knew that he likely had it because he was feeling under the weather Thursday morning, got the test, and still flew to New Jersey. Like they're trying to like dispute the timeline, but even if he didn't have a positive COVID test, he knew she had it and she was with him on Air Force One. That's so irresponsible. I mean, he's got like a 200,000 person body count Yeah, for his irresponsibility. Yeah, Like after the thing broke about him knowing how serious it was. He knew. He knew a thousand percent and made a decision to say otherwise over and over and over again. Yeah. And now he's left the hospital. And I think the scary part for me, I don't know if it's scary or just predictable and sucky. These people are going to be like, see, we told you. He survived. It'll be fine. Let alone he has like a drug that's not even on the market that he's being treated with. Like, (laughs) you, bro, are not going to have that. Yeah. But here we are. November 2nd, people. November 3rd, I should say. My bad. November 3rd. And I don't like to say it like it's a prescriptive solution. It's like a part of the solution because he is a reflection of a good chunk of America Mm -hmm. that like the rest of the world and those of us who live on the coast like to pretend doesn't exist. Yeah. But that part of America does exist. Even though he does live on the coast. Right. (laughs) But he very smartly knew what was in the middle. Yeah. And quite frankly, some of those people are on the coast too, Mm -hmm. in hiding, not as loud. Mm -hmm. But I think the reality is him going away is not a magic wand to these type of sentiment. No, it's not. Then the divide has never been greater than it is right now. Like we're... I shouldn't say we are because I'm not American, but this country I live in, we are very... so polarized, like more polarized than ever. Yeah, the problem is is definitely not going away. No. My team and I were talking about it the morning it happened. We were like, Trump got the Rona. And one of our engineers who's just 
so good and so practical and so logical about everything and very excellent. He just says, I'm quite surprised that it didn't happen sooner, to be honest. I mean, he doesn't wear a mask and he's flying around all over the place. And I, mean, I was like, it's the logic for me. It's the common <laughs> logic sense for me. Is so like, sound. <laughs> this took a while. I'm surprised he didn't get it in the thick of the thing. Yeah. It's wild. I'm just waiting for Kamala to go in at this debate. I wasn't super excited about Uncle Joe's performance last week. I'm just going to be honest. Mm. But it was also super hard because... Yeah, he was in a tough spot. You know, but... It was very combative. He did a good job of keeping his cool, considering that he's not known for that for the most part. He did, he did. But I know that with Trump's COVID diagnosis... She's going to go ham. Like, this is going to be, like, must-see TV. And I'm just trying to figure, like, how is Mike Pence going to, like, say anything to her? Like, what does that even look like? I'm super curious to see how this plays out. Because it'll be the first sort of big televised thing since this whole debacle. Yeah. But I don't have any hopes that the people that need to be, like, seriously thinking about this are. Like, I'm pretty convinced that they're not. And they have a whole story around why this vindicates him. And I'm just like, I can't even be bothered. Well, in lighter record scratch news, it has been like IPO season recently. It's kind of wild. Like with everything that's going on right now with the economy, it's been such a volatile year. And there's been so many tech companies that have been filing to go public, which has been kind of fascinating to watch, especially the way in which a lot of them have been filing to go public too. But There's this rumor flying around on Twitter that maybe Roblox is going to IPO soon, which is interesting. And um, one of the emails I love, which I've mentioned on the show before, is High T. And they included this graph of like what Roblox's user time spent, like in hours playing, looked like. And it's just fascinating that like this company has been around since like 2007. And between 2007 and 2016, it's like flatline. And then 2016 to now, it just is like that beautiful looking hockey stick that you want to see in growth. And Mm. it was just a really good reminder. It was like, damn, that is like a decade, a decade of like just putting in the time with very little recognition, which is one of the hardest things about being an early stage founder. Like you're like, oh, I do this thing. And people are like, yeah, I never heard of that. What is it? And everyone expects an overnight success. Yeah. Because People only hear of things when they get successful. And I think Roblox is one of those things that like this year, people would call it an overnight success. Like, oh my God, Roblox, right? But no, it's actually been around for a very long time. Very long. And if you look at any companies like this, almost all of them have been around for a very long time. And if they haven't been around for a long time, the founders have been around for a long time, Mm. trying different versions of things over and over and over again until something actually clicks. And so... My record sketch there is just like looking at that graph and realizing, wow. 10 years. 10 years. I feel like I've been a part of all of them because my son is 12 and probably playing Roblox right now. So there's that. How long has he been playing Roblox for? At least five years. There you go. I mean, I'm like, damn it. I wish I had money then. I probably should have invested in it. (laughs) 
So moving on to culture, I think this week we need to talk about the culture moment that was all over Instagram, which is this Biden beauty <laughs> account, which is just so glorious. It's the I best. don't really know even where to start, but you should just go look at it. But somebody we don't know who is selling beauty blenders, which for those of you who don't use makeup is like a sponge to like blend makeup into your face and they're blue. And they're very cute and the photography is really nice. And they're kind of shaped like a like a booty or like a gnocchi. Yeah, they're a little bit like sensual. They're they like are. not the usual raindrop shape, actually. It is like a sensual, like a It's lip. a bit sex toy-esque, could be. It is. It is. I <laughs> now that you say that, that's You're exactly like gnocchi. How they are. I was like, hmm, I was thinking something else. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is where we are today. Anyway, you should go check it out because their slogan is like, the only way you get rid of orange is with like blue, which is true in beauty. That's how you blend colors. So Color anyway, correcting that's blue. glorious. Whoever did that. Thank you for, for doing that. Oh, and you can actually buy them and the money actually goes to the Biden campaign. So it's it's not just like a spoof. It's a real thing. I love that. What's your culture moment, Shrey? I mean, you know, I'm a grandma when it comes to these things. I do. So um, yes. I'm a little bit sad. My show, The Great British Baking Show, or if you're in the UK. <laughs> of course, that's your show. I mean, listen, people. <gasps> I can't so, be cool. Is that all the like time. your go-to show that you put on in the background? Not only is You're it like, the go-to, just, it is the only one. It's the only like, show. Like people are out here watching Lovecraft Country and carrying like, nope. I'm watching the Great British Baking Show. It is my dream in life to just be li- living in a cottage baking shit. Like that's just what I want to do with myself. It was just so unpretentious. So one, I love it because the people competing are just like regularized people who like to bake. Mm-hmm. So it's like a mechanic who also makes the best like lemon poppy seed muffins or like somebody's grandma. It's not like some chef who like has a monetization strategy around being on the show. They're relatable. It's just regular ass people from all over the UK, but who can bake their asses off. And the hosts are funny and they're in this big tent and it's great. But this season, they added a new host. They got rid of my girl, Sandy, who I really liked because she was queer, but older. And I feel like we need more like older queer representation. That's like a whole other rabbit hole. But like mm-hmm. I, I really definitely loved that about the show. And it wasn't centered. It just was. And now I've got this like new guy. I think his name is Matt. And it just feels like... <laughs> What's wrong with Matt? He's just really trying hard to like make his presence known in a way that feels mm. like if it was the great American baking show. And mm. I like it because it's the great British baking show. It's very British. It's very like whatevs about itself. Like it doesn't take itself too seriously. But Matt is just kind of doing a lot. Like mm. it's only two episodes in. I'm trying to like maybe Matt will calm down and like fall in line with Prue and everyone else. But right now I'm just missing Sandy and I'm like sad. I feel like I didn't get a warning. I didn't know she was going away. And so, you know. I would feel really upset if one of the main hosts left Queer Eye. Like, it would really bother me if, like, Jonathan just decided to leave or something. Like, that would be unacceptable without warning. I mean, it's (laughs) wild because even the hosts that I've come to love aren't the original ones, which I literally discovered yesterday. Because I decided I wanted to go into the crates before I watched the new season and start from season one. Oh, wow. And I turned on season one and I was like, who are these people? (laughs) 
So anyway, that's that's an, that's my that's my <laughs> culture moment for people who are grandmas like me or grandpas who are listening. You should. Watch the Great British Baking Show. It's kind of the best thing on television to me. I think you're going to make me watch it. I with am. You. I know. Actually, I'm not think. I it's know you will. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. To happen. <laughs> Done. Going to happen. I can't bake worth shit. My version of baking is like, can I put it in the freezer? Oh my god, no, 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 no. <laughs> in my brain, I want to be able to be this like kick-ass, super successful entrepreneur who just like comes home to her family and like. Bakes shit. Wow. Like, I just want to be like baking and cooking and like all the time. Like if I could bake once a week, that's so impressive. I'd love to do that. Like I'd love to be like, this is our cake for the week, or this is our batch of muffins for the. Like I would love that. Wow. I mean, it is nice to have stuff, but like I mean, the most, the farthest I ever go is like I made muffins from like a Trader Joe's mix <laughs> the other week. That was like. That was the extent. <laughs> Not from a mix. Add water. Done. Hannah. Add water. Stir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh my but they gosh. were fine. They were great. They tasted like home-baked muffins. All you have to do is add water. Why would you... <laughs> It's not the same, okay? It's just not the same. It's not the same. If I could make my own flour, I would. Like, I oh want to be like God. that person. <laughs> like, my fantasy is that. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to watching it with you for the commentary, if nothing else. Yes. So, last quick culture thing I'm excited about, though, disclaimer, I haven't actually listened to this yet, but in music, I was listening to Selection today, which is something I do every weekend. I listen to Selection. I love Selection. Shout out to Selection. You guys are just the best. I feel like you guys need to advertise with us because... Han gives you lots of shout outs. One day I just want to meet Joe K. I'm like obsessed. But anyway, they announced today that Sango has a new album, which I'm really excited about. I haven't listened to it yet, but it looks I dope. Really and there's a lot Sango. of tracks on it. And I really like Sango. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for like a whole new album to sink my teeth into. I feel like it's been a lot of like tracks recently mm-hmm. and singles are cool, but I need like a whole album right now for October. Facts. I need like a juicy emotional album, which is what Sango does. So I'm excited for this. But we should wrap up this show. We should. So some takeaways. I think first, number one is this blanket rule of like you must focus is actually kind of toxic and it can destroy your business. And it works for what you offer your customers, like the coffee shop that wasn't a coffee shop. But it does not work for your internal strategy. You have to actually run a lot of things in parallel for your internal strategy so that you have optionality for your life, for your company, for your employees, really for whatever you're trying to do. Like you don't know how you're going to get there. And more options is just more chances for success. Yeah. Number two, it means you kind of need to do everything at once, which is a little bit exhausting to run like 16 things in parallel. But it's something that a founder really has to shoulder and that employees should never have to shoulder. Like if you do have employees, it's something that you can't expose them to. I firmly believe in because it's super distracting. Yeah. And the last thing is, is in the words of Neil Gaiman, put guns, I mean, metaphorical guns (laughs) in a lot of drawers when you're writing a story, just because you don't know how things are going to end. So like have the forethought to imagine what plan A, B, C, D, E, and F is. But to Jim Lucchese's point, don't actually spend energy on those plans until you're positive that one isn't working. I love that. And that's what I got. That's the show. That's the show. Follow us. 
Got Real Pod on the gram, on Twitter. Hit us in the email. Also, yo at Got Real Pod. And come back next Thursday to listen. You can find the show on all of your podcast players, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Anywhere where you listen to your podcasts, you can type in Got Real Pod and you can listen to us. That's the end. <laughs> Bye.